I wanted to throw this out to you, and this is going to be, I, I, I have Psalm 118 today as the songbook of Jesus, and if this is your first time getting in with us on this series, the songbook of Jesus is focusing on, um, on, on what Jesus used as what we're going to talk about today, the tools that he used to be able to make it through his ministry and to fulfill his purposes, right? And a lot of what he used came out of these psalms. So Pastor Mark, he, he, I think I looked up that in February he had this idea. Isn't it crazy that God had all this lined up to where he knew that we would need to walk through the psalms during such a chaotic time, right? So I'm going to dive straight into this, and uh, I'm going to start a little different than the psalms. Because the Holy Spirit gave me this little couple paragraphs that I want to read to you. Ministers of the gospel in 21st century America have a very interesting job, right? A little bit shout out to Pastor Mark here. And just to tell you, he didn't tell me to say any of this. I, I was raised in a pastor's home, Brian and I were. And uh, it's, it's, it is a very interesting thing to be a pastor in today's culture. And I, I just felt like I wanted to share this with you. Um, ministers in the gospel, and that, that can include anybody, not just pastors, right? Anybody who... I know Jenny and Sean and Cindy and a lot of the MSB ladies, you'll step up in front of this pulpit or music stand on a Thursday night and speak the word. If you're a minister of the gospel, it's someone who proclaims the gospel and the Bible message. So ministers of the gospel have an interesting job. Listen to some of this. They have a book full of truth that was written over 2,000 years ago that everyone in their congregation has 24-7 access to, Right? Some of their congregation read and study regularly. Others pick it up when it's convenient, while others rarely remember to open it at all. One or two days a week, a minister stands in front of these groups that have all done something different with that book of truth, at the same time trying to help each understand how it applies to their lives. Some people get frustrated, uh, saying that the minister isn't doing enough or teaching enough. Others tell the minister that they're doing it wrong while others don't really care enough to have an opinion. I know that everybody on the call today doesn't regularly attend Christian Life Fellowship. Maybe you're a pastor of another church. Maybe you're a minister of another church. Maybe you're just a member of another church who wants to tie in. But in the end, what is the minister's primary responsibility? Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, very straight, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering, which means patience, and teaching. I promise you patience has to be a number one quality of ministers today. Ultimately, here's what I put. The responsibility of a minister of the gospel comes down to teaching people how the gospel message should influence their daily lives and to provide tools to people to empower them with tools with which to build their lives to the glory of God. You and I, every one of us, we're building a monument out of our lives to the glory of God. And the real question I want to bring to you this morning is what tools are you using? We're going to talk about the toolbox of Jesus. And I've talked about this example before, but I think it applies really well with Psalm 118. The theme of a lot of Psalms can be seen in how they begin and how they end. For example, Psalm 25, this slide that I've got says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And it ends with, I will wait for you, right? It's almost like God hears what I'm lifting up and now I'm going to wait for a response, right? Psalm chapter 30 begins with a line that says, I will extol you or exalt you, O Lord. And it ends with, I will give thanks to you forever. So literally focus on, I'm going to worship, I'm going to exalt. And then it ends with, I'll give thanks to you literally for what he's done and who he is. And then Psalm 113 
146, 147, 148, 149, 150 begin and end with praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, an imperative statement that tells us to praise the Lord. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I have to tell myself, right? David did this all the time. I say to my soul, I remind my soul. Sometimes you need to remind yourself, hey, soul, praise the Lord, right? And if, if you're kind of forgetting that, I would challenge you to go back and read the last five chapters of Psalms. But in Psalm 118, the psalm begins and ends with this phrase, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. I'm not going to read this entire psalm today, although I would encourage you to, right? But we're going to specifically talk about how this core statement, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for his mercy endures forever, and it's repeated several times through the psalm. We're going to talk about how this core statement, and others like it, can be anchored in our lives when we feel like we're in chaos or we're surrounded right? So let's pray before we get started. Lord Jesus, I thank you for giving us your word, the source of truth, something certain in uncertain times that we can base our life on with everything else swirling like a tornado, like a hurricane, like a culture who's out of control. Your word is a firm foundation of principles and godly truths that we can stand on to make sure that our purpose is fulfilled in our lives. Our lives have not stopped because of this pandemic. Some of, some of normal life might have, but you still have given us breath every morning. You've still got a purpose for our souls. You've still got a purpose for a limited amount of time here. And I'm asking you to speak to our hearts this morning and remind us of all the tools that you've given us just like Jesus had. In your name we pray. Amen. As the last psalm of the Hallel series, Psalm 118 provides us the text of the last, listen to this, the last words of corporate worship that Jesus shared with his disciples before his death. I'm taking a lot of inspiration today, by the way, out of a book by George Wood, who used to be the National Presbyter for the Assemblies of God denomination, and he compiled uh, a, basically a big devotional on every one of the psalms. Fantastic study, if you'd like to pick that up. I want you to think about this for a minute. At if, if Psalm 18 was the last statement that Jesus made in corporate worship, I think you would agree that that was at the forefront of his mind, right? I don't know if you've ever had a stressful time in the last few months or something to where you said something and you didn't even think about it. It just came out, right? And what I would say is whatever came out, um, I've, I've heard it said before that if you squeeze a ketchup bottle and mustard comes out, it doesn't matter what it says on the label, you know what was truly inside, Right? So what I would say is in the last moment of corporate worship, this is what came out of Jesus' soul because of what he had inside of him, right? Now, I want you to think about this. At any time prior to his arrest that evening, Jesus could have fled up and over the Olivet Hill and lost himself in the Judean desert, but he had long ago resolutely set his face toward the cross. So here's an important lesson from Jesus at the very end of his journey, and this is where we're going to start, and I've got this on the slide. Your commitment to long-term decisions is vital in making right decisions today. Let me read that again. Your commitment to long-term decisions is vital in making right decisions today. When you know where you're going, then you know when to turn and you know when to stay straight. My wife and I do a lot of coaching and mentoring with some of our ladies from the Transitional Home for Women here, and we try to help them understand if you don't have a long-term reason why you need to stick of course you're going to go left or right because you don't know why you're going straight. 
Jesus knew that his face was set towards the cross, and he knew that no matter what chaos came, sometimes I think when we read through the stories of the last days of Jesus' life, I think we tend to downplay the chaos and stress. Think about this, right? Jesus knew the cross was coming. Think about the stress in his relationships. He's preparing the people closest to him for his death and departure, and he's literally leaving his entire ministry with them, right? The church was created out of Jesus leaving, the Holy Spirit coming, and these disciples carrying the message to the world, right? That, that's a lot of stress that Jesus had in the last few days of his life. The stress of his mindset. The Bible actually says in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was so stressed and anxious that, bl- that blood came out with sweat, right? To where that anxiety that was inside of him. Think about the stress of the limited time. Jesus felt the press of time against him all the time. Side note, I forget who said it. One of the philosophers of old said, why do we live as if we have a thousand years, right? Why do we live as though we have a thousand years? You and I, the Bible says in, in the book of James, we're, our lives are a mist, right? But yet sometimes we live our lives like we're going to live forever, right? Jesus knew the time was coming. In times of chaos, where did Jesus turn? He turned to scripture. He turned to the Psalms. First of all, he knew what tools were available to him. And second, he didn't carry around hurt and bitterness. I want to give you a little bit of an example. And I gave this example at Living Living Recovery Service a while back. And I want you to think through this, right? Jesus carried with him an empty backpack and a full toolbox. But many of us, what we do is we carry around an empty toolbox and a backpack full of bitterness and hurt and pain and shame. So why is it that we can't go forward with our lives? Well, I would challenge that many times we have a backpack that's weighing us down of past hurts, past pains, bitterness towards other people, bitterness towards ourselves, not understanding who we are in Christ. And then when it's time for us to build this structure that is a life to the glory of God, we open our toolbox and there's spider webs, right? So what tools did Jesus use to build the life, to build his purpose. That's what I want to talk about this morning because Jesus knew his tools and he knew which tools to use for the certain time, right? I, I, I can just imagine, man. Uh, we'll get into that in a minute. First of all, let's go through this. If, if you want some points, I'm a, big, I'm a big sucker for points. I'm a melancholy personality, which is detail-oriented, and I want it lined out. Number one is Jesus used his tools to get through chaos, Right? The psalm actually tells us that Jesus' circumstances did not alter his faith. How do we know the psalm says that? Think about where Jesus used it. Where did Jesus use this psalm? Days before the most, and I'm not, no, not even days, hours before the biggest chaos of his life would begin. And I would even argue in the middle of the greatest chaos, right? Because you got to think, what happened a week before the crucifixion and Jesus' death? He's being hailed into Jerusalem, Hosanna, and he's having like branches waved at him, riding a donkey. This is great. In the middle of this chaos, Jesus remembered, I've got a tool. I know how to get through chaos, right? This truth of God's love enduring forever, regardless of what's going on, kept Jesus facing straight ahead. Scripture says, now I want you to think about this. Scripture says that Jesus walked through every temptation as you and I do 
yet without sin. You know what that means to me? Jesus had days where he wanted to quit too. He wanted to quit it all. He wanted to quit his ministry. He wanted to quit his relationships. He wanted to quit his purpose. If, if, if the Bible's true, and that's, that's the standpoint we're coming from, right? We believe the Bible is the source of all truth, is inerrant, right? Then that means that Jesus went through every temptation that you and I did. At the core, Jesus wanted to quit. Why did he not quit? Because he knew his tools and he knew how to use them when the stress level of the chaos started to rise. I hope this makes sense for today's society, right? I can hear Jesus in his head, right? Father, this is stupid. It's a dumb situation. I haven't done anything wrong. These people want me dead. The people I rely on the most fall asleep when I need them and they run away when I desperately need them by my side. You're the only one I can rely on. So I remind my soul what the psalmist said, oh, give thanks to the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Nothing in scripture says his mercy endures until COVID, right? Nowhere in scripture does it say his mercy endures until that relationship falls through. Nowhere in scripture does it say his mercy endures until the storms of life get so big. His mercy endures regardless of the situation you're walking through. I, I despise when people play down and talk down to people that are walking through chaos. I don't understand, I don't claim to understand the chaos you're walking through. But what I do claim to know is that God's love and his mercy remain regardless of what you're walking through. Our, and I've said this so many times, and I feel like it's almost a theme of our church. Our circumstances do not define who your God is. His mercy endures forever, regardless of the chaos you're currently walking through. Number two, Jesus used his tools when he felt surrounded. See, three times in this psalm, the psalmist describes himself as surrounded. The image is of an army positioned on all sides against him. Or in another verse, it has a swarm of bees that are surrounding him and stinging him. See, Jesus lives surrounded, right? Jesus lives surrounded by Pharisees. He lives surrounded by critics. He, he was surrounded by followers, right? There are even times where Jesus said, y'all stay here, right? In my mind, Jesus had a southern accent, right? Y'all stay here. I'm going to go over there. And it's funny because the people didn't even listen. They said, oh, we're going to come to where you are. Jesus was surrounded, right? He was surrounded by friends. He was surrounded by enemies. He was surrounded by busyness. I'll just leave that there, right? He was surrounded by his purpose. You are going to feel surrounded by your life. There is no way around it. It's going to happen. You're going to feel the walls closing in. You're going to be surrounded by situations. You're going to be surrounded by people. You're going to be surrounded by enemies. You're going to be surrounded by financial situations and crises. You're going to be surrounded by ignorance. You're going to be surrounded by temptations, by pride, by change. You are going to feel surrounded and feel the walls closing in. When you feel surrounded, you really only have two options. You can close in and quit, or you can put up your tools and build your wall and say, Give thanks to the Lord for his mercy endures forever. The enemy, when you're surrounded, wants you to say, I'll never survive this, right? One of the common stances that I've been trying to help people take through all this is change the statement, I can't, to how can I? The enemy wants you to think you can't, you can't, 
you're not going to survive. There's no way out of this. The Holy Spirit literally wants to say, turn on your creativity. Turn on your innovation. He tells me sometimes, Chris, turn on your brain. You, you know the tools to get out of this, right? What are the tools? Let's just take this psalm. Let's ignore the rest of the Bible for a minute because the rest of the Bible is so full of tools in and of themselves. Let's just use this one psalm. When we feel surrounded, what tools do we have, should we use to get past the surroundedness and survive? Verse 7 says, the Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. Verse 8 says, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Highlight that one or underline that one in your Bible. Some of you need that today, right? Verse 9 says, the Lord is for me. He's for you, right? Verse 13 says, the Lord helped me. Verse 14 says, the Lord is my strength and my song. Verse 16, the, Lord is, the Lord's right hand is lifted high. You know what that means? He's victor. He is the victor. Verse 17 says, I will not die but live. Highlight that one. Verse 19, I will enter the gates of righteousness. What does that mean? I'm going to get out of this surrounded feeling, and I will enter the gates of righteousness. Verse 21, you answered me. Here are your tools and it's the same tools Jesus used to get rid of his feeling of feeling surrounded, right? Jesus felt emotions like you and I do, but he was not conquered by emotions as we can tend to be. Well, that just happened because he's Jesus. No, that happened because he had his tools. He had a full toolbox and an empty backpack. Mike and I, again, were on a podcast this week, and we thought, you know, so many people get emotionally, we like the term emotionally hijacked. We can get emotionally hijacked, and we kind of almost forget all the tools, right? When, when we feel emotionally overwhelmed, let me ask you a question. Which way do you usually turn, to your hurt and bitterness or to your tools? I think it's very easy that when our emotions get hijacked, we can turn to our bitterness. Well, yeah, you don't know what he did to me. Well, yeah, you don't know what they did here. We can turn to the full backpack, and I'll even challenge, maybe that's why we can't empty our backpack, because we keep letting our emotions overwhelm us. Jesus said, I know all that's there. I know the feeling of being surrounded, but I'm coming back to Scripture. Nobody's going to twist it. Nobody's going to turn it. I know who my God is. Give thanks to the Lord for his mercy endures forever. That's our responsibility. I tell people this all the time. You don't have to follow anything I'm saying, right? You can feel free to wear that backpack with pride. I've got my hurts. You don't know what I've gone through. You're right. Feel free to hold on to that backpack for a long time. Just do me a favor. If you're going to hold on to the backpack and I'm offering you tools, maybe I shouldn't say this on a worldwide church forum. Let me just say this. Please don't come complaining to me that your backpack's heavy if you choose to wear it. I hope that's fair. I'm looking at Jenny and my guy. <laughs> Just, I hope that makes sense, right? The Holy Spirit has given you a toolbox. You have full access. You don't need a pastor to read the Bible to you, right? There was a time, a long time ago, when the Bible was not in the common language. You can buy a Bible for 99 cents. There's a free app on your phone that you can use to access every, listen, you have access to every tool that the Holy Spirit has ever given the church in Scripture. Why do we turn to our backpack when our emotions get hijacked? What my, what my urge this morning for all of us is when we feel surrounded, 
turn to the toolbox, just like Jesus did. That's how he overcame. It's interesting, right? Go all the way to Revelation. By the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, they love not their lives unto the death. Do you have a testimony from your tools? Right? Jesus built a life from his tools. This is one thing I did want to throw out because I feel like the Holy Spirit wanted me to say this. I don't want to say it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to read my page. Many of us feel surrounded today because we feel underprepared for what has hit us in the last four months, right? And I'm not even going to, there's no criticism getting pulled here. None of us knew this was coming, right? But please be aware of something. We are going to get through this. Then there will be another unexpected trial that will cause you to feel surrounded again. So if you don't like the way that you're underprepared today, then what are you doing today to prepare for that same feeling in the future? I hope that makes sense. And Jenny Gregory even said it well. She said, maybe it's not a global catastrophe, maybe it's a personal catastrophe that hits you. Are you gonna be prepared? I want to be prepared. You know, you know the two things it takes? Empty the backpack. Fill up the toolbox. If you're feeling surrounded, turn to the tools. Number three, is Jesus used his tools, and I feel like this has become a repetitive thing at our church recently because I don't think we get it yet. Jesus used his tools to remind himself who he was. There's a story about a preacher um, since I'm in Alabama, I'm going to use Mississippi, so we're going to pick on Mississippi. There was a preacher in Mississippi who his favorite sermon was John 3.16, so he would preach a sermon on John 3.16. Congregation loved it. Came back the next week, and he preached the same exact sermon on John 3.16, and the people went, yay. Third week in a row, they come back in, John 3.16, same sermon, same points, and the people start looking at themselves, looking at each other going, Groundhog Day? What, what, what's... Come back the fourth week, and when the preacher preaches the same sermon, a couple of the board members come up to the church and say, Pastor, I'm, I'm, can you explain to us why you're preaching the same sermon every week? And the pastor simply said, well, when you get it, I'll stop preaching it. All right? So I think one of the reasons that the Holy Spirit keeps telling us, know who you are, know your identity in Christ, secure your identity in Christ in your mind, is because I don't know that we've fully gotten it yet, right? Luke 20, 17, Jesus himself called back to Psalm 118 to remind himself, hey, I, I say to my soul, remember? He says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus, please understand this, Jesus was the true north. He was the single life that shifted the world, even the timeline is based on this random guy from Nazareth thousands of years ago, right? He was the chief cornerstone, listen, regardless of how everyone else tried to define him. Acts chapter 4, Peter, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, is standing up and preaching one of the first sermons like this that's ever been, that was after Jesus. And he said, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I love how he throws this in, whom you crucified. Like, by the way, just recently, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, listen, by him, 
this man stands here before you whole. That's a testimony, right? But it keeps going. Then Peter says, this is the stone. Notice, pulling the tool out of the toolbox. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Then he throws out one of the most well-known scriptures of all time. After these last two, you crucified Jesus. We know all the way back to Psalms that he was the chief cornerstone you rejected. Now, verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus reminded himself, used tools of scripture and Psalms that he learned long ago to remind himself who he was in crunch time. You have been given so many tools to remind yourself who you are and whose you are. I'm just gonna hit on a few. And let me just tell you this, if you can't find them, Google, do a Google search, Bible verses that remind me who I am in Christ. And don't pay attention to whatever doctrines people talk about in those articles. Stick with scripture, and there's hundreds. I'm just gonna hit a few. Colossians 3.12 is one of our favorite at CLF. Therefore, as God's chosen people, I, I, can, hear, I can hear Joshua, my nephew, when Brian asked him, who are you? Holy, chosen, holy, holy, chosen people, holy and dearly loved, right? First Peter 2.9, let's shotgun some of these. For you're a chosen generation, this is who you are, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people, four words that I've talked about for a decade, chosen, royal, holy, and special. That's who you are. This is your tool to remind yourself who you are. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's who you are. Psalm 139.5, you have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand on me. That's whose you are. 1 Corinthians 6.19, do you not know that your bodies are so important? They're the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you. That's who you are. Um, Deuteronomy 31.8 is another one. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That's whose you are. Galatians 4.7, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're his child, God has made you an heir. Your toolbox should be full of scriptures that you can pull out any time the enemy comes against your identity, comes and tells you who you are and who you're not, you have so many tools. It is, here's the crazy part to me. It's the same tools that Jesus used. It's the same ones he used that we have access to. Well, he was Jesus. He had the tools. <laughs> I, I, it, it drives me nuts because sometimes I think our lives would look a lot more like Jesus if we used the same tools that Jesus used. Novel idea, Right? These tools have been made available to you, and this is what I wrote down, to fix your mindset. If you struggle with your identity in Christ, there's good news. You can fix that mindset. Romans 12, 2 says, don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do I renew my mind? Your tools. The same tools Jesus used. But here's the deal. You have to choose to put them in your toolbox. If you struggle with your identity in Christ, you should read some of these Bible verses every day, even multiple times a day. Well, Chris, that would take work. Can I just ask one of those questions? 
isn't your peace of mind worth a little bit of effort? I hope I can just be honest. Like a lot of people say, well, I, I can't memorize. Well, I would challenge you can memorize how many of us know words to songs that we heard 20 years ago, right? But we heard, watch this. The reason we memorized those songs so well is we repeated them into our subconscious mind where they kind of became part of our toolbox. If the only toolboxes you have is Don't Want to Miss a Thing by Aerosmith, great song, but I don't know that it's a, it's a tool that I can use when I'm struggling with my identity in Christ, right? But I'll tell you what it is, is Galatians 4, 7. You're no longer a slave. 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 You're a child of God. You're chosen. You're holy. You're dearly loved. Those are tools that can help us. The final words of worship spoken in the Last Supper are these. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. So here's my only question to you. Will you go straight ahead into your chaos with these words on your heart and lips. I pray that you have put the right tools in your toolbox to anchor you to biblical truth. And if you haven't secured these tools, here's the good news. Let me give you a little quick, I don't even know how many step process. The first, first thing is make sure you have a relationship with Jesus. If you haven't given your life to him and said, God, I wanna live by your truth. I, I trust that Jesus died for my sins. That's, that's step one. And then after that, guess, and I love CLF's idea, begin, belong, become. Begin that relationship with Christ. Belong to a fellowship of believers, not just over this. You know my favorite part of belonging to a community of believers is the conversations we get into because we're all reading the same thing. I pull this little tool out of my box. I'm like, let me show you this tool. It's really cool. It helped me in this mindset. Somebody else says, yeah, check this tool out. You know how weird it feels for somebody to go, yeah, let me pull this out of my backpack and show you the bitterness I'm struggling with this week. Our goal as a community of believers is to go, yeah, you can empty that. Let's focus on the tools. That's my favorite part of belonging to a faith-based community like this, right? If you haven't secured these tools in your mind, guess what? Happy day. The Lord says his mercies are new every morning. This can be day one for you emptying the backpack and focusing on filling up that toolbox just like Jesus did.